This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Sick? Yeah, I got a little cold or virus or something, man, but it's all good. I was able to go get some cop syrup and stuff and just sort of post up. That's good. At least it's easy to find meetings, you know what I mean, anywhere nowadays. If you wanted to catch a meeting without having to leave the house, you know. I might do that, man. I haven't done a Zoom meeting in forever. Um, I I do Zoom because I'm involved at the different levels of organization within the fellowship. Uh, but I, 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 uh, I don't really do any Zoom meeting meetings anymore. <laughs> yeah, I've never done one, to be honest, but I've I've heard good things, you know. So they help a lot of people, man. It's it's made it it's made it possible for a lot of people to get a meeting, you know, people that yeah. like don't have transportation, but they got internet, you know. That's what I mean. I was I was just talking to somebody uh for my show, you know, he's been on a couple of times, um, and it's hard for him, you know, he has kidney failure right now and congenital heart failure. You oh, know, wow. you know, from meth for forty years of doing meth for forty years, that's that's what happens, kids. Um, we started the show, by the way, it's fine. We're just going to roll with it. Um, yeah. So I was talking to him and it's convenient now. Like it wouldn't have been easy for him to hit meetings in the past, you know, pre COVID because there wasn't yet. You kidding me? There was never going to be any kind of, you know, virtual meetings if it wasn't for something like COVID. Not as much. Zoom has actually been around for a long time, man. Uh, like zoom meetings have been around for a long time. Um, the in in the literature it's funny the the newest forward in the book uh of the fellowship that i attend it talks about uh meetings modem to modem and i i want to say that was released in 2001 possibly uh and what started it was truckers and people in in lines of business like that that uh so you know the internet meetings have been around for a hot minute it just got really big when covid hit Okay, because didn't they have? I knew they had phone meetings before. That's what I right. knew they had, where you right. call in and you basically listen to a speakerphone. You know what I mean, like conference call. Mm-hmm. You know, I I knew they existed. You know, random times throughout the day, every single day, all over for people to call in. They can't make it, but it's a lot different when you know on Zoom, and especially when it's a bigger meeting too. I'm sure, if right. it was just a couple people. You know, on a Zoom meeting, it, it would be probably rather boring if it's the same two people bitching about the same things every single day. Um, but when you get to the probably bigger a lot of one, meetings are like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's true. <laughs> I know that. Uh, it, that's why it's always good to have like a little bit of a bigger crowd. Whenever this, whenever it's the smaller home groups, I feel like, you know, like mine right now. That's what it is. You know, because we now host 
both, you know, different fellowships, you know, depending on if you're more for drugs or more for drinking, you know, we host both one morning and one night. And cause I wanted to get them involved here. And, but still like for the, whenever it's a small, you know, meeting, it's, you know, it's the same thing sometimes a lot. It's the same right. problems over and over. And it is what it is. It's, you know, living life on life's terms and sobriety now, you know, and we're coming into the holidays and this is not your first rodeo with being, you know, in recovery with the holidays. Right. You, you're, you're sober. You're, was it February, 2018? Yeah. Yeah. February 11, 2018. So God willing, I'm coming up on four years. Yeah. So this would be then your third go round, right? You know, third or fourth uh, time of the holidays sober. Yeah, this this will be my fourth. Yeah. Yeah, your fourth. Yeah. So how was your how was your first one? Let me ask that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I live in Winston Salem, North Carolina. My family is in Charlotte and a little bit south of Charlotte. So what I was doing is I didn't have a car at that time. Um, I would hop on the Amtrak and have my grandmother pick me up in Charlotte off the Amtrak, and I would go stay there for a week. And I've done that every Christmas so far. And um, the first Christmas, it was a little weird. I remember going down and like, because, you know, like my 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 loved ones, they still drink and get high and get down. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful that I was like recovered by the time I had had a psychic change. I had had a spiritual experience and the, the uh, desire to use and drink had been lifted for me because, dude, I. I it kind of blew my mind. I went down there and I walked in the kitchen and my uncle was like crushing a pill on the counter. And I was like, it, it kind of blew my mind that it didn't bother me. It was a little uncomfortable because I know that's not what I'm supposed to be around. Um, and, you know, being new in the program, uh, we're giving these practical suggestions like, hey, you know, don't hang around people that are getting high if you're not trying to get high, you know. So it was a little weird. I had to go call my sponsor and be like, hey, I just saw some sketchy shit. But like, um it wasn't a big deal. Um, you know, he was drinking and stuff and it, it didn't affect me. It was just a little uncomfortable. Um, honestly, that first Christmas, dude, I had already quit smoking and the cigarettes bothered me more than anything. I wanted a damn cigarette. Uh, huh, interesting. So you had quit, you quit smoking also in your, you quit smoking cigarettes in your first year of sobriety. Yeah. A little bit less than six months. That's, that's smoking. a, that's a ballsy move, my friend, but I, you also had a lot you had, if I'm not mistaken from, you know, I'll, I'll even link your original story in here. If people that find you at this time that didn't see your original story, just go to the description and you'll find, you know, his original story when he told that a couple months ago. Now, if I'm not mistaken, um, that would have been like a trigger for you because like you, your whole family was using growing up. Right. Right. So being around it again, you know, you kind of knew what you were going to get into, <clears throat> I would imagine, kind of like, all right, but at least you had like eight months sobriety, but I'm sure the one thing you didn't expect is to be triggered for cigarettes the most. Right. Now, you had your, you went through the steps rather, not quickly, but like, you were like gung-ho early on, if I'm not mistaken, and you had your psychic change early on, like you had your spiritual experience and you were lifted of that like craving obsession of craving rather early into your recovery if i'm not mistaken right 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the way the steps are designed to work. It's not something that's supposed to be worked slowly. That's a fallacy in, in contemporary recovery. Um, yeah, I have right here. this book right here oh yeah wally p yeah man that's yeah, that's a back, great book i got it on the, to, I got, <clears throat> that's an interesting school of thought i haven't gone through it that way but even the, just going through it with uh our, our basic literature uh, <clears throat> it's uh it's not meant to be worked slowly um, yeah for those listening i showed him a book back, called back to, all i gotta say is back to basics and it's a way to do the steps in four weeks you're basically you knock out three steps a week and within a month, you're done the steps. And that's kind of like the Oxford house. Like that's kind of like the old school way of doing the steps is once a week, we're going to sit down and we're going to knock out three steps. And that's that's a meeting format that one of the old timers has suggested um, for my place, for one of my meetings as a way to like go through them each month. And so he had given me that book to go over the other day. So here we are. It's <laughs> just funny that you, you sparked that in my head when you said that. I will say this about that book. That is not meant for people that are working the steps the first time. No, if it you is not. The steps already. That's that's excellent. And I've got friends that have done it. I don't have any personal experience with it, but I do know that that's not for first timers. Yeah, um, no. The first time is definitely a, a def, more in-depth personal experience. And then this is more like going through the steps you know, you shouldn't go through them once. You you know, yeah. it's, it's an ongoing like, thing. You work them and then you learn how to apply them in your life. That's more like learning how to apply them in your life. That's living the program. Program being the 12 steps of recovery. Yeah. Uh, so you, we've talked about a couple things that got me thinking. Uh, on the cigarettes thing, um, you, you said it was ballsy. And I want to be clear, man, I, I can't take any credit for that. The same as I can't take any credit for my recovery. Uh, I'm I'm not sober today because of Tim. That there's no way. Um, it, it's God, man. It's not me. Uh, yeah, I put a little work in, but like th these weren't my ideas. I j I've just been doing what I've been told to do. Uh, I, I'm sober because of God, not because of me. And and I quit smoking because of God, not because of me. Um, I had already always told myself like I got sober, and I was like, man. You know, forget that. Like, I gave up dope. I gave up everything. I'm going to keep my cigarettes. Y'all kiss my ass. And that's exactly how I felt until the day that my mind changed. And it's not like I changed my mind. It was changed for me. I was walking through Walmart, and uh, I walked past the little smoking cessation section with, like, the, the gum and the, the lozenges and all that. And that's what I did. I got the little nicotine lozenges and did those for a month. And that's been hey. it. July 27th made three years. Wow. Okay. And, you know, usually in North Carolina, I noticed when I lived down there, I met more people that dipped than smoked. There's a lot now, of that. Did you also dip too? And you quit that? No, you were never into that? No, I, uh, I smoked, uh, I started smoking at like eighth, ninth grade and I love cigars too, because there's a good head rush with those. Anything to get me high, I was a fan of, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can't. Did. I can't smoke cigars still to this day. I don't. I don't know how to not inhale. You know, that's man shit, man. I ain't built for it. Yeah, I can't not inhale. And I'll sit there. My dad and brother, they don't smoke cigarettes, but they smoke cigars, and we would hang out. And I would be, you know, inhaling this entire fucking cigar while they're just like puffing away. <laughs> so I'm like, this is more damage than anything. I might as well just chain smoke a few cigarettes and bullshit with you guys while you guys have a cigar. 
So, yeah, now that's what we do. They'll have their cigars, and I'll puff a few cigarettes while they're smoking, because I can't be trusted with a cigar. I don't know how to fucking smoke that thing responsibly. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do anything how it's supposed to be done. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm, 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 dude, I can't. I can't. Um, I can't left do anything. Left to like my that. own, yeah. What what does it say in the book? Left to my own vices. You know what I mean? Like, no, I can't. Um, now, that first holiday, you know, like when you're seeing all this, there wasn't temptation, but was there like any kind of relief? Like, thank God that's not going to be me tomorrow. I know what that's going to feel like tomorrow, kind of thing. It did bring a lot of gratitude because. I have family members that are really sick. And what I mean by they're really sick, I mean they are exactly like me. They just have not yet found a new way to live. Um, and, man, it, it brought a lot of gratitude. Like, I saw my family getting down, and I was like, man, like, I'm going to remember every second of this holiday. I'm going to be present, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally present this entire holiday. I don't need anything to change the way I feel to enjoy this experience. And man, it, it brought me closer to God. It made me really grateful. Um, now was, was your, now was your second holiday? Was that the, was your second holidays, the first holiday where you had like, not responsibility, but like you were, you, you sponsor, right? Like you help people in the, like, so now, now let's flash, flash forward to your second holiday. Now that you have people like that had you as sponsees by the second one. Yeah. Now yeah, do you so have, any of them have like come what do you say to somebody their first year of sobriety going into the holidays that might be nervous like new in sobriety we go to the book we go to the book and i show them the promises in the book um so this sort of brings me back to something you said earlier so you were talking about triggers um triggers don't exist for a recovered person for a person who has worked the steps and had a spiritual experience, there is no such thing as re-triggered. What I mean is I can't be triggered from a position of neutrality. There are promises in the book that I read that tells me that I, I'll be neither cocky nor afraid that my, my alcohol problem will be removed from me. Uh, so if, if my problem has been removed, as it has, I don't have an alcohol and drug problem today. I'm still an alcoholic and a drug addict, but I don't have an active problem. So since I don't have a problem, I can't be triggered. You know, uh, I don't I don't know if you're following. It's it's just um, it's the promises that are in the book I read. And that that's what I'll take those guys to like, hey, man, um, if you want to go home, absolutely. The the whole point of a 12 step program is to return you to society. I'm not trying to have you hide in meetings all your life. You know, you're going to get out in the world and you're going to live and you're going to be a part of the world. But let's work these steps so you can get to the place called recovered. So you can go anywhere. The book tells me that I can go anywhere if my motives are right and I'm spiritually fit. It tells me I can go and do things that people like me are not supposed to be able to go and do. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like, dude, I don't go to the bar and hang out and belly up to the bar. I sure as hell don't go to the trap house and hang out. But if I do have to go to a place where there's drugs and alcohol going on, if I'm spiritually fit and my motives are pure, I can go anywhere and be perfectly fine and be protected. Yep. Yeah, and that's it. You know, it's almost to the point where, like, I don't want it. You know, yeah. like, I yeah. can be around it because I don't want what you have anymore. And mm -hmm. and before, yeah, five years ago, you know, they had what I wanted. You know what I mean? I had shit. I had what I wanted then. You know, but now that's nowhere near what I want ever because it's never going to make me feel better again. Right. 
you know, that's the thing is, you know, just because I'm sober doesn't mean like my life is perfect. Oh, absolutely you know, not. Because life still shows up, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I I don't <laughs> it's really weird because you know, sometimes when you find out bad news and sobriety and when your mind doesn't go to drinking and drugs and it goes to all the other solutions that actually are real solutions, it's always like hours later where I'm like, "Oh shit." my solution wasn't to get higher, get drunk, you know, when that problem came up, <laughs> you know, it, it's like, I realized that hours later now, it's not even like a thing. It's like, Oh, look at that. You know? And it's because I'm constantly practicing. I'm constantly doing steps. I'm constantly working on things that were told to me. So when my mind is on all of these other tools that I need and my mind is on solution, 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 and finding it, my mind can't be bothered with, the other shit that it used to, right. uh, you know, where my mind would want to go before is not even in like the facility of where I can go now, the realm of like a possibility anymore, because I know it's not going to get me to the answer I need anymore. Right. It's, so what it sounds like to me, what you're describing is a spiritual experience and, and like the spiritual experiences that I've had, I never noticed those in the moment. It was just like you, what you were saying, like hours later or months later, I'll realize like, oh my God, like there was something working. There was like some serious power flowing in this moment that I had no idea of in the moment. Like, how cool was that? Like a good example of that was like when my obsession to use and drink was removed from me, I was in uh, rehab and I was sitting there and I was looking at the steps on the wall in this rehab and I was like, I'm going to do that. I have no idea what that means, and I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to do it, and that's just how it's going to be. And the moment I made my mind up, since that moment, I have not had a compulsion or an obsession to drink or use. I didn't notice that for like two years, dude. Like, I was sitting in a meeting, and somebody was like, "When was the when was the obsession lifted?" I got back to thinking, I was like, "Wow, dude! Like, two years ago. Powerful stuff." Yeah, I mean, and, and that's and that's the thing is, I've I've thought about that in retrospect now, you know, because it's not when it's not constantly on your mind, it's not something that ever hinders you, you know. So the only time you, we would have noticed those things is if on our mind every day is getting high, which it obviously is not, which it used to be, you know. Right. Before I wouldn't have been able to tell you the last time I didn't get high. You know, if somebody were to ask me to name a day that, you know, I was completely sober, it would take me a lot of fucking thinking. I couldn't just jump right to, oh, last Thursday. You know, that wasn't a thing. It was, let me think here. Two years ago, I was sick and I didn't see, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's not like anything else where you can just jump right to it anymore. And that's a great fucking thing. The further away you get from it, then it feels like that. Because the last time I had like, a comp not even it was a compulsion it was a full-on trigger compulsion it was two summers ago it would have been my first summer uh, my second summer in recovery and i had just relapsed with drinking and i was all in my head and this is the bad thing about you know counting days in my opinion right is what happens with what happened with me so like alcohol wasn't my drug of choice it was a horrible thing for me but it wasn't my drug of choice that I was going to rehab for, you know, pills were. And when I relapsed out of the program, it was on drinking. 
So then I get in my head. Well, I'm at zero. I'm going to continue to be at zero. Should I just get high? If you're walking on ice, you might as well dance. Exactly. And it was it was bad, dude. I Luckily for me, I was two and a half hours from where I used to get high. And it was taking me to have to uh, manipulate and lie to my, you know, fiance, now, now my wife, about needing to go to New Jersey right now. Let's go. We'll go down to Jersey. We'll see this person. We'll hang out there. We'll have a fun random night. And really, it was so that I could see this one dude and get pills. Mm. Manipulation is strong with people like us, man. What's that? Yeah, yeah. The and manipulation of dishonesty, man, is wild. That, that's that's what I am at my core, what you just described. I'm manipulative and I'm dishonest. Yeah, um, and we walked out the door. She was all like, oh, my God, yeah, we'll do that. Because she's not from my area. She doesn't get to go there that often. When right. she does, it's an experience to see people. You know, she's not from the Philadelphia area, so going through Philly is always an experience for people. So she's like, "Oh yeah, it's a Friday night. We're kid free. Let's let's do it. Yeah, that's a fun random trip. I love. It. Let's do that. You know, we're a couple months into being engaged, and we walk out the door, and I said, "Nope, never mind. I can't go, and we can't go." And she said, "Why not?" And I said, because if we go, I'll buy pills and I'll get high and I don't want to do that. So let's just stay home. And I don't so, trust my so I don't trust myself there. In that and, moment, right there, uh-huh. what you're talking about. In that moment with where that moment of clarity. You think that was you or you think that was something bigger than you? It it was honestly me testing her. Yeah. In a sense, yeah. It was because it was either going to be think about it as an addict, right? I didn't want to have to blame myself for this. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if I said to her, "Hey, I don't want to go there because I'll probably buy pills and get high," and she says to me, "Well, fuck it, it's a Friday night. You haven't gotten high in over a year. You haven't done pills in over a year, JD. I'm proud of you. Let's go. Let's get out of here." I would have said, okay, let's go. If she would have said that, you know, if she would have co-signed my bullshit. But luckily for me, I fucking married her, you know, because she didn't co-sign my bullshit. We wouldn't be married today if she co-signed my bullshit. That's not the whole point of a fucking partnership is you're supposed to to say, yeah, you're, she's supposed to say to me, good idea. Thank you for telling me. Let's go sit down on the couch and unwind. Right. That's that's what a partner is supposed to say. You know, she's not supposed to say to me, yeah, that's, I'll, that's fine, baby. You can get high. You haven't well, gotten high uh, in forever. Well, that's that's what a healthy partner, a healthy part of a team would say. Oh, yeah, you're right. Let's not go. Like somebody that's sick, like, you know, I've been with I've been with women that were diseased like I am. A sick partner would be like, all right, let's go, you know. Yep, and she's an alcoholic too. Her admission, not mine. You know what I mean? Like now, today she's twenty months sober, like I am. We both quit drinking on the same day. You know, our, our you know leap day is our sober day. Uh, is our sober day two twenty nine twenty? Um, so she she was drinking at that point also. You know, but she was never into pills. 
pills were never her thing you know she's what you know what we call real deal alcoholic you know love the sauce so you know luckily for me you know she was sick but not the same sick i am you know where it was okay to get high i'm sure if it was drinks it would have been like okay yeah we'll get drinks but no it wasn't and but it was that's what happens with the addict's mind when we start talking ourselves into some shit you know, this was me going, well, I'm not sober anyway, because my count's at zero anyway. You know, that's that's well why, yeah. yeah, that's why an old timer, it's so important to say all we have is today. This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. If you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo. We have a Cash App. We have a PayPal. We have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. I say, so there's a, a term that's thrown around in recovery circles that I, I think it's in uh, the basic text of one fellowship. It's not in the basic literature of the fellowship I attend. Um, I'm so that, that term that's thrown around is, you know, one day at a time, we stay sober one day at a time, stay clean one day at a time. That's true. The, but that's not what the book I read says. The book that I read says we live life one day at a time. Um, the, the instructions I were given is the recipe for permanent sobriety. So I don't disagree with you, but it's it's really semantic, man. We talk about this a lot in meetings and outside of meetings. This very subject, um, I, yeah, I don't disagree and, and that makes sense. No, no, and I see the difference in the terminology because words do matter. That's you know, yeah. words matter. And when you're saying the difference is, you know, my I'm sober one day at a time, or and you take life one day at a time, it's because you're living your life sober. So that would be part of that, and you don't even need to need mention that because it's part of it anyway is what you're saying well yeah well sobriety is like that's sobriety is the foundation on which my life is built you know without sobriety there is no life i go back to just kind of existing like i used to you know yeah and that existence was a bleak one at best from what i can remember yours was a lot of motels yeah super painful man nothing nothing happy about it um there was definitely no holidays you know, holidays was just another day that I was dope sick. I always say that I didn't know that people used words like gratitude and grateful besides Thanksgiving until I got sober. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never heard gratitude as much as I heard that word fucking thrown around until I got sober. I didn't hear that shit in July <laughs> until I started going into the rooms. And then you start hearing words like gratitude and grateful, every, especially if you do a proper step 10. You should be talking about gratitude every single day. And right. All this not, wonderful shit God has given you, right? Not just November 25th or 26th, whatever fucking day it is this year, you know, the last Thursday of the month of November, which I run, do, 
um, you know, our chances, and these numbers are skewed to begin with. Uh, let me preface with that because these numbers, a lot of people, they don't report to anybody when they relapse. No one's hitting up somebody saying, hey, I relapsed, give it a report. You know, right. but the relapse rates in general are 40 to 60% of people who are in recovery relapse a year. You know, half That's the people. Conservative estimate. Yep. Now, Thanksgiving to New Year's, it raises 33%. Woo. And not only that, and that's based on the people that enter rehab in that time period. That rehab numbers spike 33% during that time. So that's not true relapses either. That is the number for people that actually are done their relapse and going to get help. So right. if you really think about it, that number is probably astronomical with the people that are relapsing right now that just aren't saying shit about it because they're too ashamed, obviously, to be like, hey, I'm shooting dope again or I'm drinking again or whatever the fuck they relapse with. No one's going to come out and just like put up on their Facebook status. And the only time they are going to put it on their Facebook status is when they're ready for to be sober Anything. again yeah you know so, you tell on yourself because you want help right and so i don't disagree with anything you said but those numbers may be way lower and what i mean is let's look at what a relapse is so a relapse is a return to mind-altering substances after recovery recovery and abstinence are different things so if all you've done is not use and you go back to using, that's not a relapse. A relapse is after you've had a spiritual experience, after you've worked the steps, after you've started a new way of life, then you return. Um, a lot of people just go back to using. I look at that differently than a relapse. Um, okay, so you consider the, the, the terminology of relapse to be separate for somebody that, would you, what would you call that, goes out? You know, yeah, it would just goes going out. Back out. Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, you quit it's, quitting. <laughs> you quit quitting. <laughs> right, right. And uh, again, you know, we're I'm sort of splitting hairs here. Uh, it's semantics, but it 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 means something to me. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you're an avid you know reader, so words would matter to you. Like, yeah. you you were the bookworm, if I'm not mistaken, that I talked to. That's uh, always had a fucking book in your hand. So yeah, and you were always reading then yeah, words would matter and the placement of the words and why you say the words. I mean, I I always say to my kid and my wife, like words matter. Like that's something <laughs> that I say all the time. Yeah. Because, you know, and that's why that word, and I love that you always say recovered, you know, and it, it is a hot topic and it is a word that people feel really uncomfortable about. And that's okay. People think that it's like not okay to be uncomfortable. It's perfectly okay to be uncomfortable and to ask questions. Yeah, yeah. If I would have never been uncomfortable, I would have never had any reason to get better. Uh, gro there's no comfort in growth. There's no growth in comfort. If you're not getting uncomfortable, you're staying still, you're probably going to backpedal. Maybe I can help with this recovered thing. When I say the word recovered, I do not mean cured. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I will always be an alcoholic, and I will always be a drug addict until the day I die. When I say I'm recovered, I don't mean I'm cured. 
What I mean is that I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. The, the obsession and the compulsion to use and drink has been removed from me. I'm recovered. I don't use the word recovering. If I was to walk around and say that I'll always be recovering, that's for me to say that God doesn't have the power to fix me. Which he does. Obviously, I'm here, you know. Um, and this is a this is sort of a hot button topic in recovery circles. And there's there's sort of two schools of thought about this. But again, this is very weighty to me. Uh, the the book that I read, you know, the basic text of my fellowship, we um, the word recovered appears, I think, 16 times. You know, the word recovering is in there once. Yep, and, and I know, and I agree, and and I agree that it should be used because it's if the person is confident enough to use that word, let them. Don't say shit. Don't take their inventory. If you're confident, confident. and it's it's about confidence, you know. It's Not a, no, 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 no. Confidence in your higher power. Right. Confidence right. in your program confidence in the way that you work your program you know so it is in a sense about you because it's you that is holding the key to it at the end of the day it's you that is saying it but i understand exactly what you're saying it's not it's not you that's actually doing that it's you <clears throat> exactly and people don't understand that and i still say recovering and Which that's okay which is exactly, and it's only because I am not confident enough to say recovered. You know, my I am not, I don't have as strong of a bond with my higher power as you do. I am working on having a conscious contact. You know right. what I mean? And I'm consistently always working on that and improving that. But it's not to the point where I can sit here and say recovered confidently right. where right. i can actually feel it with every fiber of my beings and it's going to portray that way where that you're but when you say it i say yeah he is you know when somebody else when they say it i i can tell when they say it like how much they have behind it you know how much weight they hold when they say it there's right. some people that don't understand and they're to say yeah i'm recovered and you're like why well i don't know it's past tense and you're like, that's not the answer we were hoping to hear. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So those are the ones where I'm like, eh. And then there's ones where you, when you're like, you know, eloquent about it in your in the explanation, you can you can break down why and the differences. So for me, that's why I'm like, oh, no, he's recovered. <laughs> you know, he's and it is in the book. They They called themselves recovered in the book. Again, you know, something we've talked about. So 16 times, that's used. You know, it's it's really when you, uh, you know, come across some book thumpers and you, you come across some hardline program guys, that's when you'll hear that word used. Um, and it, maybe my favorite part about that word is the hope it can bring to a new guy. When a brand new guy shows up in a meeting and I introduce myself that way as recovered, he's going to be like, what the hell does that mean? And how do I do that? And maybe he'll ask me. That's when the magic starts. Recovery begins when one when one sick person talks with another. If that guy can ask me what's recovered mean, dude, that's opening a channel for God to start working. You know, 
Yeah, um, when you, when you have the new guy come up to you and say, "Hey, how come you? I noticed Tim that you said recovered and you didn't say recovering like everybody else. Why is that? As soon as they you catch your curiosity and you pique their interest like that, you got them. You know what I mean? It's I'm, a wrap. I'm immediately going to break the book open and I'm going to show them time and time and time and time and time again how that word is used and what it means and how they can get that. They can have that. It's theirs already. All they got to do is listen to what we have to say. Yeah. It's now, all about you, the music. It's all about spreading hope. Yep. Are you hitting a lot of meetings or do you hit a lot of meetings during the holidays? Like with your guys? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, holidays or not. I hit about the same amount of meetings all the time. Uh, my, my home group meets, I have two home groups. One meets three days a week. Another meets one day a week. So I hit those four, and then uh, another day of the week, I'll try to hit a random one. I'm going to go about 45 minutes away Tuesday, hopefully. Um, I got a lot going on, man. I'm, I've been sick. I got this little cold or whatever's going on, so I might not hit one tomorrow. But um, Tuesday, I'm going in for surgery. I'm having a little cyst removed in my wrist, and then that night, I'll go about 45 minutes away to a, a little meeting that's out in the middle of nowhere. Those are always nice. That's I used to like doing that, you know, going like a nice 45 minute ride to one it really give you some nice processing time afterwards to, you know, take in everything you talked about, all that kind of shit. And you meet some new people, you know what I mean? Yeah. You get some new phone numbers, expand your network a little bit. And um, I've sort of fallen into I'm a routines guy and I hit those same four meetings all the time. And, and um, like we were talking about earlier, you know you hit the same meetings all the time. There's a pretty good chance you're going to hear the same stuff all the time. I need, I need to hear something different, man. I need to see some fresh pain on some new guys faces. I need to hear some fresh old timers talk about how they did it. Um, yesterday's new experiences must be today's old experiences. It's all about chasing a new experience. I need to find God in a new way. I need to get, try to gain access to his power in a new way. That that's, that's how I stay sober. A new experience. Yep, and that's what's cool even about the Zoom is you can hop on meetings in, like, fucking England. You can see how recovery is done all over the world. You know, uh, I talked to somebody that does that. You go at 2 a.m., he's on, you know, morning meetings in England on Zoom. <laughs> but it's 2 o'clock for him, but it's, like, 9 a.m. there or whatever. And he's on the meetings sitting there, talk, you know, talking to them. So that's the cool thing, especially because recovery is not a one-size, you know, it's all either there's a million brands man and i'll yep. say european recovery so strong dude it's really amazing to see um i've got a, a dear friend that lives in germany and he's like gotten me into some uh zoom meetings in london and dude those guys are amazing those guys are awesome really they are uh, i think they're like five or six hours ahead of me so like That's a, what, it'll be yeah it depends on the time of the year um, whether it's five or six hours from us on the Eastern time, cause right. they don't, they don't do the, whatchamacallit like we do the fucking, you know, daylight savings. Oh, I didn't know they didn't do it. No. Yeah. So it's either five. Cause I have a, a sister, you know, we'll call her sister. She, she was an exchange student that lived with us when I was a kid and she's from Berlin, Germany. So I actually, I visited her in Berlin when I lived in Durham. I lived okay. in my brother and I, we had to drive to Philly where my parents were. So we had to do a seven hour drive up to Philly from North Carolina. And then we hopped on a plane for the nine hour flight out, <laughs> out to fucking Germany. And then it was all the trains, you know, for like 10 days all over Europe. And then 
nice nine hour flight back and a seven hour car ride home. It was, uh, awesome, yeah, but it was worth it. You know, the trip in general, yeah. I wasn't on drugs, you know, it was during a time where I was, I was drinking a lot during this right. time. I was, you know, I wasn't doing pills every day at this time. It was after my fiance passed and I was on my bender of just like drinking way too much. So it fit the mold of going to Europe. Oh, I can just keep drinking there and I'll be good. So that's right. basically what I did. Just keep the buzz going. You can keep on drinking in front of family and keep the lie going that way. A lot easier than trying to rail some <laughs> some pills real quick while you're traveling with family isn't as easy. So and when you start, you know, you start talking about that, you start talking about like levels of social acceptability. Like it's strange to me how it's more socially acceptable for me to be shitty drunk, slobbering, pissing myself drunk than it is nodding out on pills. There's no yep. difference in those two states of mind. There's no difference in that inebriate inebriation, really. It's not couldn't present. agree more. Nope. It, it's I think alcohol is way worse. You know, and there was somebody on my show a couple weeks ago. We had to take out her identity. You know, she wanted her identity taken out. And she even said, like, I had the tamest story out of all your stories. You know, she was a drinker. And right. it's just that there's so much shame that gets associated with when you are, and especially a mother, you know, oh, you were, you drank like that as a mom. Like you couldn't drink like an adult as a mom, like the rest of us, like the stigma, it's, there's no stigma on alcohol being bad, which is Not wrong. Really a, you I know, mean, a, a, a shitty drunk is still looked down upon, but not nearly as much. You got to be a shitty ass drunk to be looked at. You got to be a Barney, you know, you got to be Barney falling over from the Simpsons. You know, that that's what they consider a drunk. You know, think about it. Society considers a drunk somebody like Barney, who's, oh, oh, just sitting at the bar all day or the, mm -hmm. the person who's panhandle and missing seven teeth. They consider right. that person the bad drunk, but they won't consider the mom who takes down two bottles of wine a night a bad drunk because she has a roof over her head and the kids are asleep in their beds. Sometimes, and it depends on where you're at, too. Like, you know, we were talking about Europe. It's much more acceptable to be drunk all the time in Europe. Um, but even, you know, I, I know a lot of people that were that that soccer mom, and, they're, you know, their neighbors look down on them. You know, we're, uh, there's a lot of stigma around being diseased, around being an addict and an alcoholic. And it's funny, it's, it, and it's all relative. Like, some people may not look down on somebody who downs two bottles of wine a day, like some soccer mom, at all. And but where, yeah, but I feel like they're looked down on after they admit that they have a problem, but not while they have the problem. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I think that they're not looked down upon as they're throwing away the empties every day. Right. But they're looked down upon as soon as they start going to meetings and they admit to themselves and other people that they're an alcoholic. Yeah, that exists, man. That exists. That's when people will look down on you, when you said you have a problem, but not when you're drinking every day right shame and guilt's a weird creature man and it, it kills a lot of people um so you know those being two different things guilt is i made a mistake and shame is i am a mistake yeah um, you know it's, yeah. it's a creature and something i was gonna i uh i've been sick so i've been having these wild dreams it doesn't happen too often but periodically throughout my sobriety i've had dreams about like drinking and using 
I don't think they mean anything. I think dreams just mean that you're asleep. But the interesting thing is in my dreams, when I relapse in my dreams, I'm dishonest about it. And I keep going to meetings and I pick up dirty chips. And like, yeah. I'm too prideful and like the shame and guilt is too much for me to admit to my fellows that I've relapsed. I have a theory on that too, because I've, we've, you know, I've talked about that with other people and it's that I think those dreams are nightmares. They are our new nightmares, you know, right. be, before nightmares are you're falling and you're falling and then fucking you wake up, you right. know, but now our subconscious, our biggest nightmare that that would face in, inside of our mind would be that that exact scenario. Absolutely. Not only did you relapse, Tim, but now you're lying about it and grabbing dirty chips. Right. That That's that extra little part that tells me it's a nightmare for you. Just because there's not fire and fucking the devil doesn't mean it's not a nightmare. Right. You know, and, it it could be a fucking picket fence and the dog running around. You're like, I'm allergic to dogs. This is my nightmare. You know, right. that that's your nightmare. You're you exactly know? right, dude. Because, like, you know, if without my sobriety, I know that everything's going to go away. All these worldly pleasures that I love so much, my apartment, my car, my friends, my job, money to do what I need to do, money to send to my kid. You know what I mean? Like, all these things that I love so much are going to go away. And even more importantly, you know, like I know that if I put any mind altering substances in my body, like my connection with God is going to be severed. And that is that is nightmare fuel for me, man. You're exactly right. That's I've never thought about it that way. That, yeah, man. Yeah, that's because I've had those dreams, too, man. Um, I, I love trying to dissect where that came from. You know what right. I mean? Like, why was that on my mind? Like. I purposely only fucking watch Bob's Burgers before I fall asleep at night. You know what I mean? Like, I try to control my dreams. Yeah, man. In a sense that, you know, it's I won't even put Family Guy on when I fall asleep because the music gets too intense. Right. Because, you know, I'll nerd out for a second, but Family Guy, they use a real orchestra. You know, right. Seth MacFarlane's so weird and obsessed with music that he uses a 30-piece orchestra to make his music on every single one of his episodes. So that's why the music all of a sudden gets wicked loud for Family Guy, so that it wakes me up or it startles me, you know, as I'm falling asleep. So I don't ever want it to seep into my subconscious when I'm sleeping intense music. So by putting Bob's Burgers on, it's more light family or jokes and that kind of thing. The music that they do is like jokey kind of thing, and it's more soothing. So, yeah, I won't actually fall asleep with any kind of, like, drama or, you know, any traumatic thing. I, I, I have fallen asleep, you know, watching something and had a nightmare because that was, was on my subconscious. But for when it comes to I purposely will try to only watch cartoons, especially Bob's Burgers, when I'm falling asleep just because of that and try to avoid the nightmare. Because I'll have some vivid fucking dreams, and I don't want to have, <laughs> you know, them all the time if I can help it. Man, rough estimate. In the almost four years I've been sober, I I doubt I've dreamed 50 times that I can remember. I was going to say 10 tops. Maybe yeah. a dozen times, you know. And 
of those 50 that I probably dreamed, maybe 15 of those were nightmares. Yeah. Well, I've had, I've had people tell me that in their using dreams, they don't even get to use. It's the most irritating fucking thing on the planet. They see their dealer. You know, they do everything that they usually would, but they don't ever, you know, get to use. I've had one where I actually used and I felt high. Oh, wow. Like, I remember feeling the feeling in my dream and thinking this isn't a dream because I can feel it so vividly. Right. And then I woke up and I was like, holy shit, (laughs) you know? Man, some of mine are really irritating because, like, I'll spend the whole dream chasing dope. Like, this guy ain't got – I'll be chasing it the whole dream, and I'm doing all this crazy shit, you know, all the things we do to get get whatever we want. And at the very end of the dream, I'll finally get it, and then I can't find a place to smoke. And then I get dope in the pipe, and the shit won't melt. I'm like bonfires under this fucking pipe, man. I'm setting couches on fire. The dope won't melt. It's the most fucking irritating thing on the planet. Um. It's the worst. It's the worst. Using dreams suck in 15 ways, man. Yeah. <laughs> you just described, I think, like a dozen of them, too. Like, Jeez. yeah, that's how it feels, man. And that's a good thing that we talk about this, because I think if you don't talk about things like that, then that's when they stay in your head. That's when they, right. they're more dangerous. When you don't, you know, talk about the things that are hard in, in sobriety or in recovery, and you don't talk about the things that pop up, then when it happens to somebody else for the first time, they think they're alone in that. And, oh, my God, I'm the only one having this sick using dream. I must be sick still. I need to go get high, I guess, because this is my mind. As opposed to be like, oh, oh, they're talking about it too? They're they're saying it too? This happens to everybody? This is normal? No yeah. Okay, okay, I guess I'm fine. I don't got to waste my sobriety over it. I don't got to get high over this shit. So I, it's definitely important to keep talking. I and mean, that's why I keep talking on the show. So I'm always going to keep talking about sobriety and recovery with everybody, whether it's in person or whether I'm doing a show, talking to you. I'll keep having, you know, people on the show as return guests and have new guests all the time. But, you know, I think it's important to keep raising awareness and keep talking about this shit because it's not getting any better out there. No, nah, man, uh, this is a disease that's not ever going to go away. Well, and even that, I can't even say that. Maybe someday they'll figure out whatever genetic marker makes me an addict or an alcoholic and they'll pull yeah, it it's out. A, it's a recession-proof business. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this is this ain't going nowhere. And uh, But on that same token, uh, recovery's not going anywhere as long as we keep doing it the way we've been taught to do it. If I do it how my forefathers did, if I do it out of the book, then and, and if I honor the principles of the program, you know, I can uh, – I can keep this thing going. Um, I'll say this. I, I've got a daughter, man. I've got a, she'll be 11 in December. Um, and, you know, this is another weird topic, but I believe that kid to be alcoholic. She just hasn't drank yet. Um, and so not only for my daughter, but for the millions of other people that may need it at some point, it is my responsibility and it's my duty to leave the program as I found it. And not to adulterate it and and, uh, pervert it in any way. Uh, Don't change it. It's it's fine. It doesn't need to be changed. Uh, I have a responsibility to keep this thing going and to keep spreading hope the way it was spread to me. Um, You know, so like if there's somebody out there listening to this, like you don't have to use or drink anymore. Like you can there is a way for you to stop and never use again. Find a meeting. 
find a sponsor, work the steps. Like it can be better. Life doesn't have to hurt. That's not what we were. That's not what we were put here for to be miserable all the time. It's going to suck. Sometimes you can be happy. You can be clean. You can be sober. You can have all the things you want. Go get some help. You don't yeah. have to do this shit alone. And going through what you've been through to be as, you know, working the program the way you work it and working your recovery the way that you work it, you know, it goes to show you that you can put as much into your recovery as you put as much into your addiction. You put yeah. as much, you know, energy and focus into your recovery as you energy and focus that you put into your addiction. And you're going to be just go. fine because yeah. we all of our I'll speak for myself, all of my energy every single day, even if I was going to a full time job or not, all of my energy every day was how am I going to get high? When am I going to get high? Who's going to get me high? And then go figure it the fuck out every single day. And it was sometimes four or five hours of driving all around it was making 60 phone calls sending out 30 text messages whatever the fuck you got to do it's a lot of waiting and sitting and staring at a blank phone waiting for a message to pop up energy and time being spent all there now talking about driving 45 minutes to a meeting when you're spending the time driving that far to go to your recovery and putting your recovery at first and putting that much energy into Instead of all those phone calls and text messages to dealers and people that use drugs, I'm sending these phone calls and texts out to people that are in recovery that are either need help or want help or going to help me. You know, mm -hmm. this is all, you know, I help you, you help me, you know, they help me, we help them. This is all constantly going and not stopping. Man, you know, you described it perfectly, man. I moved mountains to get dope. I moved mountains to stay high. I had to put a lot of work in. And in the beginning of recovery, you know, it takes a takes a fair amount of work. But if I'm being real, the things I have to do to stay sober are nothing compared to the work I did to stay high. It's so much easier to stay sober. You know, there's there's another fallacy floating around that it's so hard to resist temptation and stay sober. Not if you follow the instructions. That's not the way it's intended to be. It's not supposed to be a fight. Um, I, I, I don't have to do a whole lot to stay sober, happy, and connected to God. I had to do a lot to stay high, you know? If I oh, put 10% yeah. of the effort into sobriety and recovery, as I did into staying high, man, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking good to go. Yep. That, and that's, that's just need to keep talking about it. Just need to give, keep giving support, you know? Go if you don't have support, you can find support online, you can find support in person. There we are begging you to let us help you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't care. You can reach out to any I know you feel the same way. Reach out on the socials, reach out in person. That's what we're here for. We want to help. We can't right. stay sober unless we give back what was given to us. Right. Right. I need you so that I can stay sober. I need to help you so that I can stay sober. You right. need to help somebody else so that you can stay sober. This is what we the fuck we do. You know, and uh, I am in no way unique. There is a dude just like me at any meeting, anywhere you go, in any city on the whole planet. A hundred percent. I know four of you. No, you know, I know four of you. <laughs> no, easily. exactly. Yeah. 
dude, if in the best way, in the best way. I'm so glad I know all four of you too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and dude, that's awesome, man. That's exactly, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in no way unique or special at all. I'm just another dude trying to stay sober. Um, if you show up to a meeting and ask for help, some dude with a book is going to be like, okay, let's do this. And if it doesn't happen at the first meeting, you keep going until it does. You won't have to go to too many. Somebody will yeah. snatch you up and help you. Go to a different group. You know, sometimes yeah. you just got to find your group. There's some groups that I fit in with. I'm sure you know four of me. You know what I mean? You've been okay. in the rooms long enough. That's the thing, you know. And that's sometimes there's groups where I'm like, I don't fit in here whatsoever. And it's, that's that's okay. Because then there's other groups where I'm like, holy shit, this is where I belong. It's just like in addiction. There's sometimes you go to a trap house and I'm like, this trap house isn't for me. Sketchy as fuck. But then there's other trap houses <laughs> I've gone to and been like, no, these are my people. This is where mm-hmm. I'm going to hang out because it, what's going on at, what are we talking about? What are we doing in these trap houses? We don't, the only thing difference, the only thing different is that we're sober now. We're in the same bar. You go to that bar, miserable people, whatever. You go to this bar, that bar, this bar. We're always still the same people from the bar, except for we don't have a drink in front of us. You know, have you uh-huh. heard that? Before, talked about that before? Like how just take the drink oh, yeah. away. We're the same person you talk with at the bar. Right, right. Well, you know, it's like you've taken that that group of people from the bar, and some of them have had spiritual experiences. Some of them are recovered. Some are in the process of getting there, and some haven't started the process yet. It's just like at the bar. When you get there, there are some people that have been there all day and they're fucking slammered. They're done. And there's some guys that are still in that little happy place of warm and fuzzy and they're still drinking and having fun. And there's a the guy that just got there that is like shaking until he can get a couple shots down. Um, it's the same way. Um, and dude, yeah. I never felt like I belonged anywhere. In my very own skin, I never felt like I belonged anywhere. I don't, that's not how I feel anymore, man. I, um, uh, yeah, I still have, you know, some anxiety from time to time. Anxiety is the hipster word for fear. I'm a fearful human. I still feel fear. I'm not free from it. Uh, but I have a, a way of life to apply to fear where I can walk through it, you know. But there aren't many places I go anymore where I'm like, oh, I don't belong. You know, yeah, unless like, it's like. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> unless anxiety. It's like, you know, I don't go to the bar unless I have good reason to go. If I'm going to eat with some friends, we're going to get a booth and we're going to eat and we're going to leave. We're not bellying up to the bar. That's a place I don't belong. Uh, but like most places I go, man, the only person that uh, the only person weird is me. You know what I mean? Like I create that I don't belong. That's not put on me by other people. That's I create that in my mind. You know, I do that to myself. I can't blame that on the world. That's that's me and my disease. My yeah, fear. because you, like you said before in your other episode, you've been like that since you were a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, well before the drinking and the using. That's why you know. You were the Harry Potter kid, right? You yeah. always had the Harry Potter books in your backpack. You'd be fucking, you know. So, yeah, that was your escape then to be out of your own skin was to be whoever the character Someone? was. Yeah, in your books. And then you find, what were you, 12? When you got into drinking and using a little bit? Yeah. But mm-hmm. still, like, you, yeah, you said books and sugar were like your first addictions, right? And stealing and stealing, anything yeah. that could be feel more powerful uh, than God. I, I discovered, you know, girls, sex is always a great way to make you feel different. Um, 
Yeah, it definitely has an impact on a lot of us, you know, a, a lot of addicts going through. If there are a lot of people that I talk to that never drank and never used until their 20s. And then there's people like us where we learned adolescence while we were getting high and drunk. Mm-hmm. And that we did not process and learn correctly. Let me just say that. And I'll skip to the to that and I'll save you the trouble. We weren't processing information correctly at twelve and thirteen when we were drinking and using yeah. while we were trying to learn this shit. So, you know, that was that is so important to me to get into therapy and getting into um relationship therapy. Like I had a therapist that I only talked about relationships with when I got sober. And that's all we talked about. My previous relationships and what I want out of my future relationships. Because I wanted to be a good person in a partnership when I got one in sobriety. You yeah, know? and dude, that's that's all the steps are about is relationships. It's about relationships with me, with others, and with God. I have no idea how to form a true partnership with another human being or any other being. I need the steps for that. And oftentimes I need outside help. I haven't gotten into therapy yet, but God knows I need it. Um, I've been getting into some codependency recovery and like, you know, like learning how to identify codependent characteristics and take the healthy action. You know, that that's a big part of a healthy relationship. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that therapy does make a big difference. I was thinking about um, nothing getting, wrong with outside help, dude. Getting into which I haven't yet, but I still it's on the horizon getting into Al-Anon. Do it. Do it. Um, just, you know, it's been suggested to me by somebody that's like a mentor. You know, I don't call her a sponsor, but I call her a mentor. Um, and she, you know, runs a recovery center also in L.A., kind of similar to mine. Um, and she's like, it's been so helpful. She, you don't realize how much you need it because we deal with all of the we're on the ground floor. We're dealing with these addicts and alcoholics on the front lines. You know, we're not in recovery where we're dealing with them, not in recovery, not in rehabs, trying to help people. We're the day to day shit, the tough you shit. Can't see, you can't see how sick you are until you see what healthy looks like. Um, yeah. It's like somebody that needs glasses. Before I got glasses, I had no idea what I was not seeing. I had yep. never experienced it before. So I didn't know that I was missing it. So when I got glasses, when I got healthy, when I got you know, through the steps. And when I, I started to live a new way of life, I could see what I had been missing. Um, another thing I, I recommend highly as far as like, and in, in, there's Naranon, there's Alanon, there is a sister fellowship for all of our fellowships. Um, yeah. Um, another thing that's really helpful is a book called Codependent No More. Okay. Melody Beatty. Life-changing, dude. Life-changing. Uh, I've been reading it with a friend of mine and it's amazing, man. Really, you're going to, if what's it called again? It's called codependent. No more. And who's it by Melody Beatty. Okay. I'll pop it up. I'll pop it up on the screen too. Yeah. It's a super, super famous book. Uh, she's a really, really well-known author. Um, I'm reading it. I'm, I'm almost through it with a friend. And, uh, if you're going to read this book, be prepared to get uncomfortable. Because it's going to call you out on all your shit. But that's the only way to get well is to identify the problems. Um, yeah, being uncomfortable is not a bad thing. We're supposed to, 
you need to be uncomfortable in order to change. Right. You know, and if you're not going to get uncomfortable, you're not going to change. You're just going to stay the fucking same. I mean, think of like, even if it's a matter of clothes, think about it that way. Being uncomfortable is okay. It will fit. It will work. Right. Just give it time. Be patient. You know, trust the process. Trust in your higher power. Trust whatever you got to fucking trust. Whatever pain you want to call it. Pain is the touchstone of growth. If I, if I never, um, if I never hurt I would never see that I need to get better. It's like going on a hike. If I, if I go hike up a mountain, that's one of my hobbies. And I'm like, if that hike really kicks my ass, it shows me that I need to get more fit. I need to get healthier so I can make it up here and not be dying next time. You know? Yep. Pain yep. is not a purely negative thing. Pain is, pain is a gift. I agree. We'll end it there. I appreciate it, man. Taking the time to sit down and chat as always. And thanks again for asking. Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you, buddy. All right. Man. All right. See you.